Hi, and welcome to Build 'em Up, where we hear from great people building the health and well-being of rural communities right around Australia. This Build 'em Up podcast is proudly supported by NBN. I'm Claire from the National Rural Health Alliance, together with Gabrielle, our CEO and passionate rural health advocate. Thanks, Claire. And in episode six, we're catching up with Sam Tate, who's a Paralympic alpine skier who lives in Threadbow in the beautiful New South Wales Snowy Mountains. So welcome, Sam, and thanks for taking a break from your training to chat with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to chat to you. So, Sam, you were 22 years old when you had a motorbike accident. That's eight years ago. Can you give us a glimpse of your life before and after this life-changing event? Before I had my motorbike accident, I was doing an electrical apprenticeship. Uh, I loved that. That was something that took me since leaving high school uh, four years to find, and I finally found a job that I loved and then I enjoyed waking up and going to so um, I feel like I was just kind of finding a good place in my life and then moving out of home and then um, ended up buying a motorbike and four months after that I was in ICU with a broken back. So how did all that happen? Um, I, I can't really remember well I don't remember the accident but I remember the day riding and it was uh, by far one of the best days I've had um, on a bike and I would definitely go back to that day because it was just so much fun and then it was about four o'clock in the afternoon and we were just riding home from a big day um, or a big morning and afternoon riding and then, and then um, around yeah four o'clock it's just my life went black and then I have vague memories of flying over the harbour bridge and been in an MRI machine and then laughing with my spinal surgeon before surgery and then laughing yeah <laughs> was that the drugs <laughs> um I don't know he, he cracked the joke and I couldn't tell you what he said but he just, he just made a joke I just remember laughing and then um that was the last thing I remember for three days and then I kind of come to wake up and my family's around me in um acute an acute ward and basically telling me that I broke my back and I'll never walk again. Wow. So I know you've told your story many, many times now. Um, can you share those some of the lows and highs of your recovery um, and I guess the start of your journey as being um, someone with a disability? Yeah, I mean, I guess to start off with when I heard that I had broken my back and I never was going to walk again, I was this 22-year-old male and I had, like, life was only just kind of starting for me and I thought, oh, no, that's that's not right. You guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to be back at work in, like, a week or two weeks and everything's going to be fine. But then weeks obviously grew into months and now years and I think the first, for me, like, four years, I was just kind of staying really busy and... Um, I found skiing and then that kept me busy. And then the fifth year for me was probably uh, one of my toughest years mentally, just um, 
everything was kind of a bit more in perspective and I couldn't, um, it was just like, uh, I'm like, I'm in this for the long run and some things just kind of affected me more than it has in the past. And it just took me a couple of months to kind of get over that and kind of accept that like, this is me. And I mean, I'm still me. I just can't really walk. So yeah. Yeah. So do you feel that you define yourself differently now? Like, do you feel your disability still has um, a bearing on, you know, how you can live your best life? Um, yes and no. I think it's a little bit. I feel like I'm defined by my disability, but at the same time, I'm living a more fulfilling life than I ever could imagine um, prior to my accident and I guess after and now I my disability I guess for me kind of does like I still think about it and I still think oh if I do that like it's going to be a burden on like mates or someone else but at the same time I'm trying to um, not think or not have that mindset in my head because I as I said I am living a such a fulfilling life and um and I just I wouldn't go back to to eight years ago yeah wow what um Sam what what do you mean by more fulfilling can you tell us a bit more about that um yeah I guess uh I guess over the last eight years I've learned so much um for like, um, sorry, I've learned so much as me as a human and how strong the human body can be with you know, mentally. Like, I don't worry about um, like the sad, your sad days or your bad days because we all have them. But it's the um, it's the moments where, for instance, for me, I'm skiing and it's a bluebird day and like you're just doing amazing turns and nothing in that moment can ever beat the feeling you're feeling and it's those moments where I'm like I would never be experiencing this level of happiness prior to um, being in a wheelchair I think I'm just so much more grateful for um, well for every moment after my accident because in hindsight I really could be dead Mm. so tell me Sam how much of your recovery do you think it's based on your own inner strength? But how much of it might be the, due to those around you, like your family, your friends, your community, and even your health workers? Um, yeah, that's a hard question. I think at the start I was trying to get out of hospital and rehab as fast as I could because I just hated being in hospital and it was just a really hard routine of like hospital food is for three months it's not it's not the best (laughs) (laughs) that's the worst thing that was going on is it hospital food i mean yeah when you (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean i enjoyed the rehab and the um getting back into like lifting weights or just some sort of fitness because i was always an outdoor like sport person and always loved to um keep myself fit so getting back into the rehab and the gym was mentally um, saving for me because I just didn't have anything else in the hospital apart from an Xbox that I 
probably spent way too much time on. Hmm. Um, and then I, and then I guess the second part of my strength came from my family and friends. I didn't like seeing them um, sad or worried about me because, I mean, I knew I could get through this and I knew how hard it was or how hard it wasn't. And they, I guess, didn't have any idea what I was going through and probably assumed the worst. So I just kind of pushed as hard as I could to make them know that I'm um, that I'm getting through this as best and as happy as I can. And then seeing them uh, become happier and I guess, um, I wouldn't say more accepting, but just like, yeah, he's he's got this, he's going to be doing fine. It kind of made my rehab and my training um, a lot easier. Hmm. Tell me, do you feel like your experience is a bit of a cautionary tale, like for country people when it comes to tearing around on motorbikes or on horses or, you know, farm equipment, that sort of thing? What What would you say to young blokes doing all that sort of stuff or farmers, etc. Oh, I mean, I would buy a motorbike a week after my accident if I, if I could. <laughs> um, yeah. There, I mean, I didn't have very good experience and I was only riding for maybe a total of six months on a bike. Um, so I was really just learning how to move it and how to ride it and, I mean, I'm not going to tell anyone not to get a bike because they're a lot of fun. And I think anyone who's ridden a bike or wants that a little bit of adrenaline knows the feeling. So I guess just be careful. (laughs) Um, Anything can happen (laughs) in a heartbeat. So, yeah. But, yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So tell me, your, your resilience and determination give new meaning to the term pushing yourself. So tell us why you climbed... Matt Kosciuszko last year. <laughs> um, Sounds that... like he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I've always wanted to do something that I guess you look at and you're like, oh, I know that's probably like that's going to take a lot of years to figure out how to do and I guess almost impossible to do. And um, two years ago I got, um, like dragged out with ropes in my Sitski to Kosciuszko and I was kind of just sitting there and just, I don't know, watching the world go by. It wasn't, it wasn't very fulfilling. And then I think when we got to top, I was like, I just joked to a mate. I was like, oh, next year I'll just do this by, by myself and I'll just do it self-powered and, he, and we just kind of joked about it. And then a year after that, He's like, yeah, let's, um, so we're doing Cozzy. And I was like, all right, let's, let's go. And then we had, uh, what, four months of planning and testing equipments and ropes and, um, and just figuring out like what we're going to need, water, food, equipment and everything. And then, um, it came into October last year and we just picked a day where it was beautiful sunshine and went for it. And, we definitely underestimated how long it was going to take. I was, I, um, I think I, I, I've never done the hike from, um, Charlotte's pass prior to my accident. So I really had no idea what I was going to expect or what I was looking for. And then, um, yeah, we left at 11 AM and 
got to the top of Kosciuszko at like 6.30, 6.45, just in time for sunrise, sorry, sunset. And then had to have a quick, I don't know, a quick just laugh and say, yeah, we did, and then had to race back in pitch black to get home. I was going to say, would you sleep on the mountain or what would you do? <laughs> no, it was um, There's was, Seaman's um, Hut there, so you could always have had a little yeah, lie down in Seaman's Hut. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd want a, a good head torch then, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, well, we only had two head torches between eight of us, so we didn't oh. really prepare to come home in the dark. But um, <laughs> it, it was um, a learning curve. Like, I don't think I'll ever do Kosciuszko again. And if I do, we won't be leaving at 11 a.m., that's for sure. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. Okay. I think we'll give you, make sure you have better prep next time anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Get, get, some, get some girls involved yeah. in your preparation, that's what I say. <laughs> um, Sam, do you say to yourself today, sort of thank God for sport in what's happened to you over the past eight years from back then and today? Uh, yeah, 100%. Sport like sport, fitness, gym, um, skiing especially has definitely um, like I found a passion with that and a love and it's like it's it's my life and I would have no idea where I am where I would be today without skiing or like the gym. It's just mentally rewarding and so like you do a thirty minute workout and you feel so much better just for moving 30 minutes a day a day or 20 minutes a day so yeah. yeah i i try to do something every day but obviously you need rest days as well but um yeah sport and fitness is definitely i'm definitely grateful for for having all that in my life and being yeah. able to being able to do it as well and you've achieved so much in such a short period of time. Um, so, you know, what have the highlights been in terms of your sporting goals now? Um, in the future or in the past? What you've been doing just in the last few years, you've had success in world, is it world championships and all sorts of different things with skiing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I've been at a... Um, Winter Paralympics in 2018 and then World Championships in 2019. Um, and the World Championships was one of my best event, well, best finishes where I came sixth um, in the downhill event and haven't really had an opportunity to race pretty much since 2019 because of COVID and mm. hopefully we get overseas um, at the end of this year for the Paralympics next next March in China. Yeah. Yeah, we were going to ask you about that. Um, I also hear that you've got a bit of hero worship going on with um, Kurt Fernley. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us about your relationship with Kurt and what he means to you. Um, I've only met him a few times. One was for his, uh, when he's doing his book tour, and then one time before the Paralympics in 2018, he came to Perisher um, just to kind of um see what it was all about and he is such a positive and like when you talk to him he's got so much passion in his voice and he just like he brings up the whole room and his achievements that he's done like the Kokoda Trail or sitting to Hobart it just uh like it motivated but that's kind of one of the things motivated me to do Kosciuszko I was like oh if he can do something at that 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 amazing then surely I can do Kosciuszko and 
experience what probably one tenth of his pain that he went through or mm. something. So um, yeah, he's probably doesn't know it, but he's been a big motivation and I guess inspiration in my life just to kind of keep finding ways to push myself and and just do I don't know um impossible things that seem like at the time. Yeah. And then there's also the other Kurt Fernley, who's Dylan Alcott. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he says the, the Olympics are just, you know, the crappy warm-up for the Paralympics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I read that tweet the other day. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what do you think about that in terms of sort of what's ahead for the sport of Paralympics? Uh, I th- yeah, I feel like um, since I've been in the sport and especially after 2018, Paralympics or para sport is getting a lot more attention and a lot more um, like acknowledgement, especially with Dylan, who's a huge, obviously plays tennis and is just smashing it um, in the tennis world. And he's a, obviously a huge advocate for getting um, para sport out there, tennis, and um, obviously the Summer Paralympics. Uh, I just feel like it's becoming more, I don't want to say accepted. But I think people are just understanding para sport more and um, appreciating that we mm. are elite. We are elite athletes, and we're at the same level as an Olympian. Um, just have to overcome a, a disability as well. And I'm in saying that I'm not saying we're better than Olympians. I'm saying at the same level. I don't want that to come across (laughs) (laughs) in that sense. Um, How has, um, you were saying that you haven't been getting the racing in that you would normally get. So how's lockdown actually impacted your training and preparation for the Winter Paralympics next year? Yeah, it's, um, I've quite enjoyed, I guess, having a six-month summer from overseas racing. It was a nice mental mental break um, and a nice six month um gym block that we never really get because we're always skiing down here in um perisher and then overseas for five months in europe and you don't really get that solid like four or five months of just gym recovery eat it's always when you're overseas you're on the road you're traveling you're trying to keep fit but then you're also trying to not overdo yourself for races and training coming up. Um, so I've taken it as a really huge positive um, towards my fitness and uh, my mental game. I feel like, yes, we haven't had a lot of time on snow and not compared to some of the Northern Hemisphere athletes, but my mental um, fitness, I think, right now is is huge and I'm ready to get back into racing and competing and seeing if I can bring home a medal next March. Well, there goes the next question, Gabrielle. <laughs> well, yes, because, you know, you were saying how you came. Was it sixth in the world champs? So you, so you yeah. are looking for you're looking for a medal of some colour in March. Oh, I'm looking for gold. Yeah. Gold. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Go right to the top. I'll settle with, yeah, I'll settle with um, second or third, but I'm – yeah, I'm aiming for gold. That's for sure. Good on you. Absolutely. Good on you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Sam, I, now I understand you give back to the community by supporting 
supporting other people who've been injured by being part of the IKEA Speakers Program. Um, do you feel that's an important thing for you to do? I do, yes. I haven't done it in, uh, it'd probably be over a year and a half now. Um, Is this a confession? No, it's um, <laughs> um, just because of COVID, obviously, we haven't been able to get out much travel. and travel. And then there was a bit of, um, I guess, organising all the Zoom meetings um, back then was a little bit unknown to everyone. Mm. Um, but when I was doing it, I loved just chatting to whoever it may be um, and just telling them, I guess, about my life and road safety and just trying to get across to just one person if I can, just to kind of, if you're doing like, just take a second to just think, is this a good idea or what are the consequences or just, just take that extra second just to kind of think and mm. it might, you might save your life or you might save yourself from a, from a serious injury. Yeah, absolutely. And so finally, Sam, just with, all of those aspiring young athletes out there who have a disability, um, motivation for them to make help make their dreams a reality? Um, oh, I mean, I'm going to say get into skiing because it's, it's the best sport in the world. <laughs> but <laughs> um, just any sport, any anything that you love and you can find just some like some freedom for even if it's like half an hour a day just to kind of get out of your head and relax and just find something you love and just um just go 100 percent with it brilliant sam look thank you so much for sharing your incredible story um, we wish you well in life and we also look forward to cheering you on in the paralympics next year <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. It's been and great before to you go, I've got to ask you, when I looked at the videos earlier today of some of the um, races that you've been in, how fast are you going in that downhill? Is it about 120K? Uh, yeah, it's about the fastest I've gone in a training run was 127. Um, so races is probably pushing 130, probably wow. around that. You've got to have yeah. so much guts. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a bit of insanity. <laughs> it's guts and insanity to push you out of the start gate. Yeah. Um, but then once you're on, once you're going that fast, it's just, you kind of, you're not thinking about how fast you are. You're just thinking about mm. what's coming up and where you need to be. And then when you finish, it's like, oh my God, what just happened? That was, that was the most crazy thing you've ever done. And the endorphins are flying, the adrenaline <laughs> and it's, Obviously, yeah, there's crazy. the skill, talent, and technique that you know you spend day in, day out. You know, ex, you know, honing. Yeah, there's there's skill to it, but I mean, yeah, when you're going 120 yeah. k's an hour, it's you're just kind of holding on and hoping your skill kicks in as a habit and you get down to the bottom of the hill. Yeah. Brilliant, in yeah. one piece. Thank you so yeah. much, Sam. No, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Think it's time to come together and be the spark. Let's be the spark and build them up from the ground up. Don't lose heart and don't lose touch. Build them up to stay in the fight. Gotta keep the hope in the country.
And thank you for your support in talking up rural health across Australia. And our thanks to NBN, who are lifting digital connectivity and capability across our rural, regional and remote communities. That's the three R's. Um, and if you like hearing upbeat, community-driven health stories, get your monthly Build Em Up podcast by heading to ruralhealth.org.au. Build Em Up. Still the magpie sings